This is episode 368 of the AWS podcast, released on May 10, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, runner. Welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lash here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm, of course, joined by Nikki Stone over there in the US. G'day, Nikki. Hi, Simon. So glad to be back as usual. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's always fun to uh, go through the updates. And without any further ado, let's get into it. Let's start with the topic of analytics. Firstly, Amazon Redshift now announces general availability for federated querying. So this allows you to query data across your operational databases, your data warehouse, and your data lake. Uh, so with Amazon Redshift Federated Query, you can query live data in Amazon RDS for PostgreSQL and Amazon Aurora PostgreSQL and integrate it with the data in your Amazon Redshift and Amazon S3 environments. So this really lets you get access to that live data as well as that uh, historical data from one perspective. Now, Redshift does a whole lot of optimization to make this super quick, which is super interesting for people who are using that. Another big update is a major release for Amazon EMR. Uh, it is released 6.0.0. It includes new major versions of Hadoop, Hive, HBase, Amazon Linux 2, and support for Docker. Now, there are a bunch of improvements here, too many to go through in this particular episode, but if this is a technology that you use, you should definitely be looking at it because it includes a whole lot of new cool stuff. Uh, one highlight, if you're a Hive user, you can now use Hive Live Long and Process with EMR LLAP, which allows you to have two times performance speed up over EMR 5.29 and up to 10x improvement in individual Hive TPC DS queries. So it's performant. Uh, also new major versions of Hadoop, Hive, HBase, Phoenix, uh, the EMR runtime for Apache Spark, support for Scala 2.12. Uh, it's all built on Amazon Linux 2 and at the Amazon Coreto JDK 8 as well. So it gives you lots of up-to-date and supportable platform goodness. And Amazon EMR is also now available in the AWS local zone in Los Angeles. So if that's a zone that you use, you now have access to all the EMR goodness in that particular zone. And finally, from an analytics perspective, well, a few things finally, I've, I've used the word finally a little bit uh, presumptively, uh, Amazon QuickSight dashboards are now denser and they have a slick look and feel. So you can get more information onto the page. And there's also some really good cascading filter actions available for you as well. And also the Amazon MSK clusters are now available with T3 brokers, which means you can have it for less than $2.50 a day if you're building these out. So these are really useful if you're getting started with Apache Kafka or Amazon MSK uh, and you want to test your application and development environment and you have low throughput production workloads as another option. Basically, you get all the Amazon MSK features, but the clusters are built from Kafka T3 small brokers which means you can have both two and three availability zone deployments. Uh, you get encryption in transit at risk. Uh, each cluster is paired with a highly available, fully managed Apache Zookeeper cluster at no additional cost. It's a pretty nifty capability. And finally, the AWS Data Exchange has now got ISO compliance. So it now is under the ISO 9001, ISO 27001, ISO 27017 and ISO 27018 standards as well. 
Moving over to the topic of blockchain, one quick announcement. Amazon Managed Blockchain now supports Amazon CloudWatch logs. Uh, so blockchain, Amazon Managed Blockchain now has the ability to publish Hyperledger fabric, peer nodes, chain codes, and certificate authority logs to Amazon CloudWatch logs, which you can then use to troubleshoot um, and you know get more visibility into network activity and errors. Another quick update on the topic of business applications introducing Amazon Chime proxy phone sessions. Uh, so proxy phone sessions will let you provide two users with a shared phone number to communicate via voice or text for up to 12 hours without revealing personal phone numbers. So when users call or message the phone number, they're connected to the other party and their private phone numbers are replaced with the shared number in caller ID. But personal phone numbers are not displayed and you know, a method often called member masking. And with these proxy phone sessions, a food delivery service, for example, can allow a delivery driver and customer to contact each other for the duration of the delivery period without sharing their personal phone numbers. Moving on to the topic of compute, Amazon EKS, the Elastic Kubernetes service, now supports service-linked roles. Now, this makes it easy to delegate cluster management permissions to EKS. And the EKS service-linked role is predefined by Amazon EKS and includes the permissions that EKS requires to create and manage clusters. So this includes EC2, cross-account uh, ENIs, um, a whole bunch of stuff that makes it easy for you to set it up because you don't have to manually add the necessary permissions. So basically, unlike a normal IAM role, you can't delete the service-linked role if it is still in use by an Amazon EKS cluster, which is pretty useful because if you did delete it, you'd be down. Uh, so this avoids you from inadvertently revoking any permissions that you need to make it work. Also, any actions performed by EKS against its service-linked role will be logged in AWS CloudTrail. A bunch of updates for AWS Elastic Beanstalk uh, the console now has a new experience. This makes it easier for you to use uh, the capability and simplifies the management of applications and environments. And the team love to hear your comments and suggestions through the feedback link on the console. They've been working very hard to make it nicer. Uh, also, AWS Elastic Beanstalk now has API support for listing platform branches. So this makes it really useful for automating your entire development pipeline. And that team has been super busy because they now have general availability of Amazon Linux 2 based Docker, Coretta and Python platforms. So you can get the latest generation of all the good stuff uh, on your Elastic Beanstalk deployment. Some more updates, Amazon ECS and AWS Fargate now support the Amazon EFS file systems. These are now generally available. So this is one of those really interesting ones I think where um, you know, containers work really well when they're stateless. However, there's certain use cases where you just got to store something somewhere and a database is not the right place. Well, now you can mount Elastic file systems and store that data. So applications like WordPress, Drupal and Jira use EFS to store data in application state with active standby container pairs running in different AZs for high availability. Uh, lots of other use cases you might use for that as well. Also, AWS Firegate launches platform version 1.4. This is the latest version and it has a whole bunch of new features, including support for those Elastic File System endpoints. You now have a consolidated 20 gig ephemeral volume, which is up from the 10 gig in the past. And uh, you also have uh, network performance metrics, which are available in Amazon CloudWatch Container Insights. Uh, network stats are now available in Fargate via the Amazon ECS task metadata endpoint version 4, so you get more information there. And the Fargate tasks also now support CAPSYS ptrace Linux capability, which basically lets you have access to a whole bunch of observability tools uh, so you can see what's going on in your containers. 
Two final updates in this category, uh, announcing the ability to run Windows Server license included instances on EC2 dedicated hosts. So you can now run your license, including Windows Server instances, on EC2 dedicated hosts, which enables you to use fully compliant Windows Server software licenses from AWS with a pay-as-you-go model. This new capability helps in scenarios where you have eligible SQL Server licenses to use on dedicated hosts, but do not have accompanying Windows Server's licenses to run the SQL Server workloads. AWS Launch Wizard now supports the deployment of HANA-based SAP apps. AWS Launch Wizard offers a guided way of sizing, configuring, and deploying resources on HANA-based SAP systems without the need to manually identify and provision individual AWS resources. You can input your app requirements, including HANA settings, SAP landscape settings, and deployment details on the console, and Launch Wizard identifies the resources to deploy and run your app will also provide an estimated cost of deployment and allow you to modify your resources and instantly view the updated cost assessment. So you can now create a fully functioning production ready SAP application. Nice. Moving on to the topic of customer engagement, Amazon Connect now supports adjustable timeouts for Amazon Lex chatbots. So this is really useful for allowing the customer to have a comfortable experience when conversing with the chatbot. The timeout determines how long the chatbot waits for the customer to finish speaking. So for example, a yes, no question, you want a pretty short timeout, but you want a longer timeout when you're asking for an address or a credit card number to give the customer more time to finish speaking, or if you mean more time to find the data in the first place that you should have had to hand when you made the call. Moving on to the topic of database, a couple quick announcements. Uh, Amazon Neptune now supports the T3 medium instance type. So you can now launch the T3 instance type with Neptune for development and test scenarios. Uh, T3 instances are just to remind you, the next generation burstable general purpose instance type that provides a baseline level of CPU performance with the ability to burst CPU usage at any time for as long as required. Amazon RDS for SQL Server now supports multi-file native backups. So RDS for SQL Server now supports these multi-file native backups. And with this, you can now backup data from a single database across multiple files, uploading each of them in parallel directly to Amazon S3, which improves the overall backup experience. Amazon Aurora with PostgreSQL compatibility supports additional sizes for the DBR5 instance class. So it now supports RV8X large and RV16X large instance sizes, which uh, with these new sizes, customers who are currently using R48X large or R416X large now have an easy upgrade path to the latest generation of instances. Amazon RDS proxy with PostgreSQL compatibility is now in preview. Uh, so this is in preview for Aurora PostgreSQL and RDS PostgreSQL. An RDS proxy makes applications more scalable, more resilient to database failures, and more secure. You can enable it uh, with just a few clicks by going to Amazon RDS or the AWS Lambda console and get started by pointing your app to the RDS proxy endpoint. RDS wasn't quite finished there. Um, RDS for Oracle now supports Oracle Application Express version 19.2. So 19.2 version of Oracle Application Express for 11.2, 12.1, 12.2, 18C, and 19C versions of Oracle database. And using the Apex, as it's called, developers can build applications entirely within their web browser. Nice. 
Moving on to some updates for the Amazon Manage Cassandra service. It now enables you to manage access on resources based on tags. So these are, of course, key value labels that you can attach to your resources, such as key spaces and tables to help you identify, organize, and search for those resources. So for example, you can use tags to categorize resources by project, by owner, by environment, or any other criteria. And now you can also manage those tags to manage which Amazon MCS resources uh, IAM users as roles are allowed to access. So for example, you can identify an IAM policy that grants or denies an IAM user access to Amazon MCS resources that are tagged for a specific project. Another quick update, it now helps you coordinate increments and decrements to column values by using counters. So counters make it easy to coordinate increments and decrements to column values in distributed systems or in scenarios where increments happen rapidly. So for example, you can use counters to track the numbers of entries in a log file, or the number of times a post has been viewed on a social network. Using counters ensures that updates are serialized and multiple clients can update the same column value without overriding each other. A non-trivial problem that is solved by that. Moving on to my favorite topic, developer tools. Two quick announcements here. AWS X-Ray SDK for Go is now generally available. So this uh, enables Go developers to get an end-to-end -end view of requests as they travel through their applications. And using the X-Ray Go SDK, you can now better understand how your Go apps and their underlying services are performing and easily identify and troubleshoot the root cause of performance issues and errors. AWS Toolkit for JetBrains IDEs adds new CloudWatch Logs integration. So the CloudWatch Logs integration in the toolkit for JetBrains IDEs, which include IntelliJ, PyCharm, Writer, and WebStorm, allows developers to easily view and search for specific error codes or patterns from their log streams. The toolkit for JetBrains is an open source plugin for all the IDEs offered from JetBrains, and it makes it easier to create, debug, and deploy Java, Python, JavaScript, or .NET apps uh, for AWS using any of those IDEs. So this new feature just adds CloudWatch, which is awesome. Moving on to the topic of end-user computing, the NICE DCV capability is now available with a free 90-day demo license. So to help support customers who are working from home, AWS is releasing a special limited time version of NICE DCV with an automatic 90-day evaluation license. Now, this limited time release of NICE DCV with a 90-day evaluation license will be available for download and activation until May the 31st, 2020. All activations of software after this date will default to the standard 30-day automatic evaluation license. Now, you may wonder, why would I use this technology? Well, it's a high-performance remote visualization protocol that enables users to securely access remote desktops or application sessions, including 3D graphics applications hosted on servers with high-performance GPUs. So this is free to use on Amazon EC2 instances with no licensing requirements. And in fact, they just updated the version to version 2020.0, which includes things like surround sound 7.1 and stylus support, as well as hardware acceleration uh, on the Linux native client, a new API command to set display layout on the server side, and multi-monitor web client support on the new Microsoft Edge browser, amongst many others. Moving on to the topic of Internet of Things, one quick announcement here. AWS IoT events add support for custom actions, payloads, and custom timers. So you can customize the message in any action triggered by an event or a state change using the new AWS IoT events expression syntax, which allows you to add custom text and remove irrelevant data from the messages sent by AWS IoT events. You can also define timer durations and MQTT topic names unique to each device. So that's pretty cool. And then moving over to my second favorite topic, 
with machine learning. Amazon SageMaker now supports MLG4DN and MLC5 instances for machine learning model training. So you can now select these instance types for training. And, uh, you know, these instance types deliver the most cost-effective and versatile GPU instances designed to accelerate computationally demanding machine learning training and model evaluation workloads. MLG4DN is equipped with NVIDIA T4 Tensor Core GPUs, AWS custom second-generation Intel Xeon scalable processors, and the AWS Nitro system. And the MLC5N instances are ideal for running advanced compute-intensive workloads, such as batch data processing and distributed deep learning inferences. They are network-optimized variants of MLC5, and they're powered by Intel Xeon scalable processors and the fourth generation of custom Nitro card and Elastic Network adapter device, and deliver up to 100 gigabytes per second of network bandwidth per instance. They sound like really powerful instances. Yeah, they're good ones. Amazon Polly has launched a Spanish newscaster style voice. So Amazon Polly is a service that turns text into lifelike speech. And there is now the availability of the US Spanish newscaster speaking style voice. Now this was developed using the latest neural text to speech technology, and it kind of imitates the voice of a news anchor. So this is a, a different kind of interaction you can have. If you're more on the textual side, Amazon Textract now reads checkboxes and other selection elements more accurately. So this is a machine learning service that makes it easy to pull text and data out from virtually any document. Uh, this means you get, of course, the continuous improvement of the models that we build on your behalf over time. So now it will recognize selection elements like checkboxes and radio buttons far more accurately and also accurately recognizes the on-off state of those particular document elements. A few updates to the uh, AWS Deep Learning containers for PyTorch 1.4.0 and MXNet 1.6.0. Uh, basically, the shortcut update is lots of new good stuff. Uh, you get the latest version of uh, SageMaker PyTorch training. You get the latest version of Gluon CV, SageMaker MXNet training, SageMaker inference, SageMaker MXNet inference. Uh, you can launch this new version in Amazon SageMaker in the EKS uh, self-managed Kubernetes on EC2 and in ECS as well. It gives you all the latest and greatest capabilities. AWS DeepLens launches new tutorials website and adds support for Python 3. So they've launched a new website with curated tutorials for AWS DeepLens and existing to their existing tutorials, they've added a new tutorial called the Trash Sorter that walks you through how to train a custom image classification model on your own data and deploy it to DeepLens. Okay, that is really cool. Yeah. I feel like I've wanted a Trash a nice Sorter yeah. forever. <laughs> And then uh, obviously with this latest release, they now support Python 3 as well as MXNet 1.6.0, AWS IoT Greengrass 1.10.1, and Amazon Kinesis Video Streams 2.10. Moving on to the topic of management and governance. AWS OpsWorks for Puppet Enterprise now supports custom domains. So you can now support your own domain into the application of your choice using a custom domain with an SSL certificate that you manage, you have an endpoint that stays the same regardless of the server being recreated. And any node under management by OpsWorks for Puppet Enterprise Server will stay associated through this endpoint. Amazon CloudWatch Synthetics now supports monitoring private endpoints in a VPC. So now you can see what's going on with that endpoint and making sure it's performing appropriately. Now, just a reminder, CloudWatch Synthetics supports monitoring your endpoints every minute, 24 by seven and it alerts you when your application endpoints don't behave as expected. 
Local launch constraints are now generally available in AWS Service Catalog. So Service Catalog now supports these, and with this feature, admins can share products from one AWS account to other AWS accounts and have those products launch locally in each account. In the Service Catalog, this is referred to as a hub-and-spoke model of sharing approved IT services. It makes it easier for admins to distribute and manage these services across multiple accounts providing self-service access while staying compliant with organizational best practices and policies. Moving over to the topic of media services, AWS Elemental Media Connect and Media Live add input failover features. Uh, so Media Connect now supports failover between two live sources into a flow. If one source fails, Media Connect can fail over to the second source, increasing the resiliency of live video transport, which provides uninterrupted ingest and transport of live video streams by adding this resilience and automatic failover. In addition, Media Live now supports failover between two live push sources from Media Connect, other UDP, RDP transport stream sources, or RTMP sources used as an input for a live channel. This real-time intelligent failover mechanism has, has enabled additional redundancy for Media Live inputs and provides a higher level of resilience for live video streams. After a failover, you can select whether to return to the primary source when it is in a healthy state again, or continue using the secondary source for the input. VPC input and output support is now available with AWS Elemental Media Connect. So support for transporting live video over a VPC is now available for Media Connect, and you can simplify hybrid cloud-based transport workflows by sending video to and from Media Connect using a VPC. The feature is also compatible with AWS Direct Connect, supporting the ingest and egress of content via private networking. Support for queue hopping now available with AWS Elemental Media Convert. AWS Elemental just killing it on the updates over here. So when submitting an encoding job to Elemental Media Convert, reserved queue, the job would stay in that queue until it could be processed. If the queue was busy, the job would wait to start until previous jobs completed. This obviously prevents a challenge for videos requiring strict turnaround times. To solve this, Media Convert now has the ability to submit jobs using a feature called queue hopping. You specify the queue a job should start in and how long it should wait before hopping to a different queue. With queue hopping, you can avoid long wait times for transcoding jobs that are time sensitive while also effectively utilizing your reserved transcoding slots. That's pretty cool. And lastly, support for manifest filtering and other improvements is now available with the AWS Elemental Media Package. So you can use manifest filtering to customize video streams presented to specific devices based on their capabilities or presented to specific end user groups based on their subscriber status or language preferences. You can configure up to four filters that select tracks depending on audio language, audio sample rate, video codec, and video bitrate criteria. Filters can be combined to create highly targeted variants of the manifest in all supported formats for live and VOD endpoints. And this capability improves the overall viewing experience with customized and targeted video content tailored to specific audiences. Moving on to the topic of migration and transfer, there is now a new capability called AWS Ops Hub for Snow Family, which is a graphical user interface to manage all your AWS Snowball devices. So now you can uh, 
Just spin it up with a few clicks and you have the full functionality of Snowball devices at your fingertips. You can unlock and configure devices, drag and drop data to devices, launch applications and monitor device metrics. Now in the past you would do this using commands in a command line or by using the REST API. Now you can actually just uh, manage it using the GUI. Also it's an application you can download and install on any Windows or Mac, such as a laptop, so that you can uh, do all that remote management you might need to do with those disconnected devices. AWS Snowball now supports local AWS IAM, which means you can now securely manage access to which particular services and accesses the user can take action on. Uh, what can they do? So prior to this launch, the Snowball devices were securely protected by requiring a user to provide an unlock code and a manifest file. And once you had that access, you had full access to the device. Now you can be far more granular and utilize permissions to allow and deny access to the AWS resources on your Snowball device. So this is really useful if you have multiple users operating on the same device, you can ensure that each user is granted the appropriate permissions. And AWS Snowball also now has task automation with AWS Systems Manager. So this simplifies common maintenance and deployment tasks on instances and other resources on your Snowball device. You can write scripts in Python or PowerShell directly into the newly launched AWS Ops Hub. And these scripts can include any operations supported on the device. When they're executed, AWS Ops Hub will automatically execute the defined operations and these can be presented as actions listed in customizable drop-down menus so you can do things on a really regular basis. And the team was not done. Uh, AWS Snowball Edge Storage Optimized now has 25% faster data transfer performance. Uh, the new device has increased its CPU capability to 40 vCPUs and 80 gigabytes of memory. And it supports the SBEC instance types for running applications at the edge. And there are now 100 gigabit ethernet ports as well. AWS Migration Hub now automatically tags migration results for cost tracking. So throughout a migration, you'll want to compare on-prem infrastructure costs to AWS costs so that you can track, spend, and adjust your plans to maximize ROI of your migration project. Migration Hub's automatic tagging now helps you track the cost of migrated resources and compare that to your on-prem costs using cost allocation tagging and the AWS Cost Explorer. For migrations tracked using the Migration Hub, an AWS system tag is automatically applied to each migrated EC2 instance or AMI, and AWS resources are tagged with a key AWS Migration Hub source ID, and the tag value is the discovery server ID corresponding to the originating server. Super cool, actually, to track the cost as you're migrating. Anyways, moving over to the topic of mobile, my team has an announcement. The Amplify mm -hmm. framework announces new <laughs> re-architected. <laughs> yay! We announced new re-architected UI component and modular JavaScript libraries. Yay! So uh, they've released new re-architected Amplify UI component libraries that enable JavaScript developers to easily add authentication scenarios to their web apps. You can use the components to quickly add functionality such as sign in, sign up, confirm sign up, forgot password, require new password, verify contact, greetings, and OTP to your apps. I mean, things you've probably built millions of times. You can now just add the component. They're really easy to add. Uh, you can do this in React, Angular, and Vue. And obviously, we provide full TypeScript support. And this release also includes the modularized Amplified JavaScript library with tree shaking support that enables you to reduce your bundle size of your apps 
In addition, the API module is now split into GraphQL and REST modules to further reduce the size of the application bundle if you're only using one of those two modules. Gotta love doing some tree shaking. Uh, moving on to the topic <laughs> of network and content delivery, the AWS Transit Gateway now supports inter-region peering in 11 additional regions. So remember that Transit Gateway is a service that lets customers connect thousands of Amazon VPCs and their on-premises networks using a single gateway. And with AWS Transit Gateway, customers only have to create and manage a single connection from a central regional gateway to each Amazon VPC, on-premises data center, or remote office across the network. Now, the ability to peer these transit gateways between different AWS regions means you can extend this connectivity and build global networks spanning multiple AWS regions. Now, remember that traffic using inter-region transit gateway peering is always encrypted and stays on the AWS global network. So this is now available in the North Virginia, Ohio, Oregon, North California, Canada Central, Ireland, Frankfurt, Paris, London, Stockholm, Mumbai, Tokyo, Seoul, Singapore, Sydney, and Sao Paulo regions. Another quick networking update is support for fine-grained IAM permissions for private link interface endpoints. So now you can support additional IAM conditional keys. So you can use things like ECT VPC service owner to restrict the creation of interface endpoints to either AWS services or services owned by a specific AWS account. You can also restrict endpoint creation to only specific services. Uh, you can also manage your VPC endpoint and endpoint services based on existing tags using the EC2 resource tag condition key. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance, AWS Certificate Manager Private Certificate Authority now includes increased certificate issuance rate limits and support for Amazon S3 bucket encryption. Uh, so this increased certificate issue rate limits, let's see, it went up from five requests per second to 25 requests per second, wow. allowing you to issue as many as 2.1 million certificates per day. That is, that's a huge increase. A lot of certificates. <laughs> this provides... Yeah, better support for use cases that require a large number of certificates in a short period of time. Examples such as manufacturing IoT devices or securing service-to-service -service traffic in a service mesh. The higher limits are reflected in your accounts automatically with additional increases available by request. And then the second update, you can now store data in customers as three buckets, including certificate revocation status and audit reports that list all the certificates that your private CA has issued or revoked. AWS Security Hub has launched a new API called Batch Update Findings and some new workflows workflow workflow statuses i should say and this uh, allows you to combine a whole bunch of fixes together uh, with a much larger set of fields so you can update things like severity criticality confidence user-defined fields notes and workflow status also the fields that batch update findings can update can't be updated by finding providers so these are only available to the customer or by seam ticket or saw tools that have access to this API action. So you can avoid providers overriding your own updates as well. So it's a very useful uh, scaling update. Also, there's a new workflow status field being added to the AWS security finding format, the ASFF to the console. Um, previously, customers used record state as a way to track the findings. We're keeping the record state object, but now only finding providers will update that field. Customers will now use the workflow status to indicate whether the finding is new, notified, suppressed, or resolved. By separating these fields, it eliminates the conflict between finding provider updates and customer updates because those two are often separate things. 
And Amazon Cognito Identity Pools now supports sign-in with Apple. Uh, so this is another social identity provider for customers who use Cognito for receiving temporary AWS credentials. It's now available in Cognito Identity Pools with no additional cost and it's available in all regions where Amazon Cognito operates except for the CN North 1 region. Moving on to the topic of storage, one quick update. There are new AWS public data sets available from Ford, the Allen Institute of Brain Science, the National Cancer Institute, and others. And there's new updated data sets in life sciences, geospatial, machine learning, sustainability. There's so many data sets available. If you haven't gone through them, I highly suggest you check it out. It's really fun for playing with machine learning or just understanding it. I won't go through the whole list, but feel free yeah. to check it out. It's a big list and it really helps with with research work and enriching your own data too. So uh, definitely plus one on uh, checking that out. Last and final topic today is training and certification. There's a new classroom course called AWS Security Essentials. This is a new one-day instructor-led classroom course and it's designed for IT leadership business level professionals, and anyone with a basic knowledge of AWS who wants to gain fundamental knowledge of working securely with data in the AWS cloud. This uh, topic reviews things like AWS access control, data encryption methods, and securing your AWS infrastructure. It also covers the AWS shared responsibility model. There's also new trailhead training content, which is about learning the AWS cloud practitioner essentials courseware. This is basically available on Trailhead by Salesforce. It's built by the experts at AWS and this trail is recommended for those who are new to the AWS cloud or who are looking to build their AWS skills. And that's it for today. We have uh, a whole bunch of updates that we've run through there, Nikki, but uh, I think we've done it efficiently and hopefully there's something for everyone in there. Uh, there's, you know, it, was a, it was a wide variety of different topics. Was a wide variety of different topics. A lot of short, quick updates in there, a lot of like version updates and new things coming out. So. It was, it was a good list. And that's the, the, I guess, that cycle of feedback that we get from customers where, you know, they, they have ideas and improvements, big and small, that need to be applied to make their lives easier. And that's what our teams focus on. You know, so over 90% of our roadmap is from customer feedback. And I guess this is an example of that happening, including your own team. <laughs> yeah, big one for my team out there. That was a shout out to them for making <laughs> that happen. So, Nikki, how can people find you? You can find me on Twitter. My Twitter name is... K-N-E-E-K-E-Y 23, like your knee and then a key and the number 23. Please send us feedback. We love hearing your feedback. Uh, you know, we always discuss it and talk about it and make sure it gets incorporated into every new show. Very true. And thanks again for listening. We do love to get that feedback in all forms. AWS podcast at amazon.com is another place you can do that. And until next time, keep on building.